Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. In the late 11th century, King Malcolm III of Scotland summoned the men of his country to compete in a race. The winner of this race would be given the job of the king's royal messenger. This competition was also believed to have included other events to test the strength and stamina of the bravest soldiers of Scotland. A couple hundred years later, in 1314, the Saris Games in Fife took place, held in honor of the brave men of Saris who fought at the Battle of Bannockburn, a major Scottish victory against the English in the First War of Scottish Independence. This event is said to have been the beginning of what is now known as the Scottish Highland Games, a festival of sorts, celebrating Scottish culture and testing the strength and stamina of some of the strongest men on the planet. My guest today is Dan McKim, four-time Scottish Highland Games world champion. Dan joins me today to tell the stories of being a professional Highland Games athlete, which is not as glamorous as it sounds. He also has some encouraging insight on training, fatherhood, and how his faith helped him when he retired from competing. This was a true joy of a conversation, and Dan is a hilarious man. Follow him on Instagram for his tongue-in-cheek takedowns of the different factions of the fitness world and his reviews of Little Debbie Snack Cakes. But for now, enjoy this episode of the Nomad Strength Show with Dan McKim. Welcome to the Nomad Strength Show. Thank you for listening today. I am joined by Dan McKim. 
dude, how are you doing today? Finally, <laughs> technology be damned. We are going to do this episode. <laughs> we made it. <clears throat> we made it. I finally uh, had to put away the Xbox headphones and uh, <laughs> try the old Apple ones. And hopefully it works. Oh, man. It is awesome. I'm glad we were able to uh, to get this thing scheduled. Um, yeah, man. I have been – I'm trying to remember how long it's been that I've been following you. It's been a good amount of time now, uh, and I'm probably – I'm sure you get it from a lot of people. They come to you at least anymore uh, from all of the like funny reels and Instagram videos of, you know, the different workout dude types and that kind of stuff. Um, But I actually started following you back in Highland Games days. Mm. Uh, One of it's kind of a funny story. I've mentioned him a few times on this podcast, but one of the guys that's around here, older guy in his late 60s now, uh, pretty much taught me everything I know about kettlebells uh, okay. up until very recently was a Highland Games competitor in the Masters uh, division and did tons of traveling and, and all kinds of stuff all over the place for like that. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I imagine it's a fairly small community. Is that pretty yeah. accurate? <clears throat> yeah, uh, we're pretty small. His name is Perrin Baker. So I don't know if you know who Perrin is or I've, met him or anything. I've like not that. met him, but I've, I know the name. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah. he's around here. We're, we're good friends, but he's, you know, a wizard when it comes to kettlebells and stuff. But he was like kind of my introduction to like what Highland Games stuff was. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I came from track and field as well. Not as a, you know, big thrower dude like like all you guys that tend to float towards that. Sport, <laughs> but um, I was I, I was a multi. So I actually did throw a little bit. Not well, but I did. Um, so that sport always really fascinated me. And I want outside of parent, I've not really had a chance to talk to anybody that was like in it. And then, you know, you multiple time world champion. So like this is <laughs> uh, I've got some highlight game questions and stuff. But like I want to actually just start with how you got into that sport, because it's such a niche sport like you almost have to go find it or get brought in by somebody that's in it already it seems <laughs> like was that yeah. kind of story or like how did how did you make your way into that well before i explain that i gotta know for you did he did he bait you with the kettlebells and he switched to the you know the highland games or was this like a like a thing where it was let's do both or what so i knew that that's what he did because i was introduced to him by my uncle who was training with him he was uh working with him for a little bit of time just doing kettlebell stuff and uh my uncle's like dude you got to come meet Perrin. he's awesome dude and uh, he's gonna he's been blowing my mind with these kettlebells this was back in like 2014 or 15 mm-hmm. and uh <clears throat> and so i'm like sweet and he said yeah he's he also does highland games and i'm like you know i've, I've heard of that i think that's the scottish thing where they wear the kilts and throw rocks and he's like yeah he does that and i'm like cool well I'll, I'll go meet him. So we actually trained kettlebells first. And then, uh, I had him basically explain to me like what it all was and how it went. And I'm like, Oh, I, I did shot poorly. So like, I can appreciate, <laughs> I can appreciate this. So, uh, he's, he's tried to get me several times to just go train and try and find some local competitions and stuff just cause he said it's a blast. I have yet to actually do one. Um, but it's always something I've like that, that would just be so fun to train for, for a while and go like, just see how it is. <laughs> well, <clears throat> if you don't want to be sucked in for the next foreseeable future, don't do it because it'll <laughs> right. suck you. <laughs> You'll be right. stuck doing it for a long time. man. <clears throat> but see, you did exactly what the rest of us wanted to do, which I feel like the Highland games is people always ask me, they're like, what's the Highland games? And I was like, well, imagine a decathlon of sorts 
but for big guys and it's only throwing. They're like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. There's no running. There's no yep. jumping. It's just lots of different types of throwing. It's great. So yep. you got to do what we always wanted to do in college. I always wanted to be a pole vaulter. But uh, yeah, okay. they didn't make them that big. You know, they don't make poles that big. So <laughs> never got to do that. So you got to do all the cool stuff. Well, I don't know about that, but it was cool at the time. But I'm looking back on it now. And it's funny because, like, I went in as a jumper and a thrower. Or a jumper and a sprinter, sorry. Not thrower. Definitely not thrower. I'm, I don't know if you remember when we hung out in Winter Strong, but I'm, like, 5'10 on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty small. So, like, uh, throwing was not what I was naturally built for. But I went in as a sprinter and a jumper. And uh, the decathlon's so interesting because a good buddy of mine was a really high-level pole vaulter. And I, he was who I was working with when I had to learn how to vault for the decathlon. Hmm. And he, you know, he said, with multis, you always want to try to get the guys that are the pole vaulters first and then bring them into decathlon because the vault is weighted so much heavily uh, on the scoring. Yeah. It's way easier for the guys to already be good at that and then teach them how to hurdle. Or, yep. you know, just let them run open and teach them how to long jump or whatever. Because he's like, it's so hard <laughs> to teach somebody pole vaulting in adulthood. And I'm like, I can get, I understand that after doing it for three years. I'm like, dude, I totally get that. But huh. uh, yeah, the throwing stuff I always loved. Like I'm obviously, you know, the whole mass moves mass thing wasn't ever going to work out for me too well. But I really <laughs> love throwing jab. And, uh, but yeah, so, so you, did you go back in through, were you like track in college as well then and kind of yeah. went through there? Yeah. Yeah. I was a, <clears throat> I was a track guy in college. So shot disc hammer. And, uh, from there, man, I was, it was my senior year and I was staying up late studying one night, you know, for college, those communications degrees are super tough. Dude, um, same. I know. <laughs> <laughs> right there with you. Super exactly. tough. <clears throat> so I was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, watching ESPN. It was actually ESPN too. And at the time they were covering the Scottish Highland games. Oh, right I remember on. I was like, what in the world? This is amazing. You mean yeah. you can throw heavy stuff with a bunch of dudes and wear a kilt? Yeah. And they're medieval <laughs> like implements. Yeah. Sign me up. Let's go. I'm, I'm and I realized pretty quick. I was like, man, I'm never going to make the Olympics. I'm never going to make USA championships. What am I going to do post-college? And, uh, <clears throat> wife, uh, wife and I got married, we moved down to Kansas city. And I remember <laughs> now this is, this tells my age too. This is before, like there was a lot of, uh, there wasn't social media yet. You know, this is Oh four. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so you actually had to call people. It was crazy. So right. I called, <laughs> I, I went online and I found this guy's info, Steve Scott. I'll never forget. And they were having like this ethnic festival. It was called in Kansas city. It wasn't even a real Scottish Highland games. It was like you would throw next to the like, uh, Indian dancing exhibition. And over here is like <laughs> German something. And it was like the, the melting pot of ethnic festivals. This was not a Scottish, Scottish festival. This okay. was everything. And uh, I called him up and he's, I was like, Hey man, saw your info on the internet. I'd like to throw. And he's like, okay. I was like, oh, I was a thrower in college. I would, I think this would be great. And he's like, cool show up. And I'm like, well, what do I need to do? And he's like, just show up. We'll take care of you. I was like, okay. So I thought I was, <clears throat> I was a, a D2 All-American one time. I finished mm -hmm. eighth <laughs> at mm -hmm. one indoor, barely squeaked in. But I remember <laughs> this is how depressing it was like. So I went to six 
uh, national championships and D2s, right? So indoor, indoor and outdoor. I went three straight years. Yep. <clears throat> I was always seated to be All-American. And practically every year, I just choked. And I threw poorly. And I didn't make finals or I'd go home. Or one year, I missed out All-American by a centimeter. It was just like, oh. what is the deal? And why won't this work for me? And I <laughs> forget my coach. Like, I got eighth place. And I'm like, oh, man, I made the podium. I got an All-American. He's like, hey, nothing else ever happens. <laughs> you're always an all-american it's like thanks coach it's all downhill from here i know i was like i don't know how to take that like sure i underperformed and i barely squeaked in but doggone it you always got that title (laughs) thanks coach love you too and uh but no i remember walking out there at this festival and i was like all right dude like I mean, <clears throat> I underperformed a lot, but I was a D2 All-American. I'm going to just come out and clean these guys' clocks, you know? At yep. the time, I was 6'5", 255, thinking I was pretty big. I remember showed up in shorts and a sleeveless shirt, and I thought, man, this is going to be my thing. And <laughs> I proceeded to get my butt handed to me all day. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. These guys are all throwers, too, and holy cow, the small guy's 285 here. Like, what is going on? Like, everybody was... <laughs> big and everybody was strong and I just got humbled. But I, I, that day, that, that was July of 04. And like, I got hooked straight up hooked. And from there it started this, this spiral of, uh, obsession for throwing really for Mm. until I retired in 2017. So, so how does that as a, you know, because it's not like some big, sponsored money league kind of thing that you guys are, you know, would be analogous to other professional athletes. Ross, come on. (laughs) This background, these panels are from Amazon, like, (laughs) and they're color checkered. Okay. You may not see this on the podcast right now, but I'll have, you know, my wife bought these on Amazon. They're, they're pretty cheap. So I don't want to show off my winnings, but (laughs) <laughs> I'm also in this my basement of my house that's really kind of like this storage closet. But I'll have you know. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. The Scottish Highland Games is not where you go to make a bunch of money. You're not gonna get paid. It's uh it's you get paid a little bit. I was fortunate enough, I will say that. I was very fortunate enough. It was important for us that so my wife stayed home with our kids. And mm-hmm. so Highland Games for those years when I turned pro, uh, mm-hmm. that was my second job. My side hustle, if you sure. will, for her to stay home. So I will say. Yeah, I, I'm not uh, rolling. I don't not Scrooge McDuck. I don't have that uh, uh, <laughs> bin of money, you know. But for Great a time in our life, reference Scrooge McDuck, <laughs> dude. Did you not want to do that as a kid? Like, so my my boys have gotten into the Ducktales, and yes. the fact that I can sing the whole song, like they're like, Dad, why? How do you know this? I'm like, Bro, the Ducktales were awesome. My Huey, Dewey, and Louie, and I always wondered. I always wanted to have a room one day in my house where it's just. It could be pennies. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> it's yep. just deep enough that I could swim in it like Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> two things I've realized: number Back one, through it. I'll never make that much money. <laughs> number two, it hurts. Like, yeah. can you imagine swimming <laughs> in coins? I mean, yes. just one dive in and you're unconscious. Yeah, such an unrealistic cartoon. I don't know who did that. <laughs> Talking ducks aside. <laughs> well, yeah. Let's not even mention that. <laughs> Oh, it's funny. So I, I don't, and I'm, I guess, you know, outside of the big championships and I, I imagine there's like a, a regionals and a nationals or something like that process, but I'm not super familiar with how like the actual season or how you guys 
map out like a training year and a competition year for that work. So how does that actually sure. play? Are there just random meets and you're just like, hey, I just need to hit a certain amount of points or like what does that actual system look like? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So when you're an amateur, you pretty well stay regional. So okay. from 04 to 07, this is uh, oh, story time with Grandpa Dan. <laughs> So back in my day, so in 04 to 07, I was uh, I was an amateur, and I really just kind of stayed local, right, in my region. So I'm from Missouri, yep. live in Missouri, hit up the ones in Kansas City, down to Tulsa, went out to Springfield, Illinois, went all the way up to Minnesota, kind of where you stay region, right? And so you hopefully build up your points there. So you get points, if you will. There's a ranking system. It's kind of sweet. Um, and there's a ranking system to where you get points based on it's decathlon style, if you will, sure. based on they take the world record. If that's worth a thousand points, what percentage are you throwing that? What marks are you? And then you get oh, okay. the points on that. Right. So you get a running tally for the year. And see, that's what whoever developed that was genius, because that's what was so addicting. You know, like, yeah. as a thrower was like, oh, man, you know, if you had a, if you didn't have a comp that weekend and somebody like you, if say if you and I are kind of in the same region or like. I'm number 10 and you're number eight and be like, oh man, I wonder how Ross did this weekend. You know, and I get on Monday, like, oh man, they updated the scores. How do you, dude, that guy threw an amazing heavy hammer. Holy cow. He gained up 40 points on me. Oh, you know? And so you would, you would have this back and forth and then you would keep track of. So you start there and as you build up and you're kind of in that top, top 10, uh, mm-hmm. amateurs that usually will enable you to get invited to the Pleasanton Highland games out in San Francisco area. And so what that is essentially is our USA Amateur Championship. It okay. is the, the top of the top amateur games. It is the top probably four. So let me put it this way. It's kind of like golf, I think, and tennis. You have majors. Yep. So you essentially have like these majors within the U.S. that you'll want to qualify for. Okay. And if you win those, that kind of leads to another one. And then when you're a pro, if you're ranked in the top 10, you go – automatic bid to the USA championships in, in uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Mm. From there, if you win, you're going to automatic invite into worlds. Okay. So you kind of got to work your way up the rankings. It's kind of where this weird thing, especially when you're pro, uh, you got to, you got to be able to throw far. You got to be able to network with your athletic directors and sponsors and stuff. And you got to, you got to make a good appearing. You got to entertain, you got to throw far. And sometimes you got to, you know, you got to rub elbows with the sponsors. You know, you got to like, hey, man, I don't know how many times, you know, somebody be like, hey, this was a big sponsor from us. Can, can you come meet him? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> They're forking out money for us to throw stuff. This is awesome. Yeah. Hey, man, how's that going? You want to take a picture of a guy in a kilt? Oh, guess what? <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> you know, so. Oh, man. So the entertained part, when you said that, that made me kind of smile because, that that almost and and maybe it's a wrong assumption, but it's it almost brings like a pro wrestling like <laughs> idea to it. Like, yeah. or is that part of like you know getting everybody amped up and bringing like some actual personality into the sport a little bit? Yeah, it's it's funny you do see guys that with different personalities that work the crowd different ways throughout. I will say one thing, and this is this is the old school in me that always says like people always like, oh, you gotta you gotta. Throwers would be like, well, you got to be super entertaining. You got to be out there and all that. And I was like, well, guess what? If you throw far, you're entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) If you throw far, you're going to get invited back and you get invites. Like if you're just, but if you run that risk of like making a fool of yourself or embarrassing the games that brought you there and the competition, whether that's their heritage or history or, or whatever it is, a sponsor, then you could run a risk of not getting invited back. So don't be a jerk. Be kind, be humble, be super polite. 
Uh, so one thing I always did is like, especially around the hammer, it's a lot of times waiting. I would do that or the caber because it's the crowd thing. You know, the caber is the big long pole to run and throw, flip over. I'd go and I'd just go over there and sit down in the front row mm. and be like, hey, how's it going? They're like, hey, usually I try to pick like, um, you know, young boys or something. A group of boys are always up there kind of like yelling and jacking around and be like, hey, what's up, guys? How's it going? And he's like, holy cow, what are those on your feet, man? And I was like, oh, these are this, you know? And just like, you talk to these boys, you talk to the crowd, and then you're like, well, looks like I'm I'm up next. And just like that ability that you you would you would entertain by just talking with people and sure. hanging out and kind of just saying like, hey, thanks for coming out here. It's super yeah. hot. You're sitting and we're throwing stuff. So <laughs> thanks for coming out here, you know? Yeah, it's funny because that seems like, it, it, because I just keep drawing these analogies back to like when I competed in decathlon, like it's such a, you're always with the same, like 11 dudes the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's really its own separate meet. Like when guys are competing in a decathlon, like most of the time we're there a full day before the actual yep. event starts. Nobody's there to watch. Like oh, no, tens like, of people. Yeah. <laughs> if that, like <laughs> maybe our moms are there. And, <laughs> yep. and so, but you like, actually it becomes more of a, you know, yes, you're competing against these guys, but it also becomes more of a, like your buddies with them too. And you're like trying, yeah. you know, cause you have some events where you're directly racing them. Right. But all the other times you're watching one dude do one thing and you're like trying to pump each other up. Cause that like mm-hmm. makes you compete or want to compete and like push for better, uh, a better length in the jumps or a farther throw or something like that. And it kind of seems like that's what the community of, of Highland games is pretty similar to that. Absolutely. <clears throat> and the thing is, is because we're not sponsored by Nike and Under Armour, we're not getting these there's no TV deals in the Are there like game, kilt right? brands? Do like kilt brands sponsor you guys? What's the there? Deal? There has been a few kilt brand sponsors through the years. Okay. Uh, uh, one, uh, but uh, <laughs> I didn't know if that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know how they made much money off of us, but yeah, they did. But uh, but you're exactly right. You have to. I was. I mean, I had some really close friends, and so what happens? You're traveling together, so and because you're not, the winnings are not that high and you're doing it because you love it and you're making some money on the side, you're splitting costs. Like, Hey man, I got the rental car this week. <laughs> you got next, next week, you know, like, Hey, pick me up. Uh, if, the, if a comp's not paying for a hotel, like, Hey man, you got a, you got a rooming. Yeah. I'm at the motel six. The AC may not work. It's like, cool. <laughs> I'm there. You know, let's split. It's 49 99 a night. Sweet. <laughs> just my price. You're so right. things like that. And you're exactly right. You would cheer each other on, become good friends. You go out to eat. And I can tell you what, man, the Highland Games guys, we can crush a buffet. When we all <laughs> we all come rolling there and we walk in and the average weight is 285 to like 350, oh you know, God. 62 to 67, and everyone's just Russian food, so just a well, bunch it's of a good mountains time. walking into Golden Corral. <laughs> yeah. yeah, everybody's like, "Are you guys? You guys a bunch of lifters?" Kind of. <laughs> hey, I think uh, we were in California at uh, in Oakland, and there's a bunch of us like. Are you guys the Oakland Raiders linemen? <laughs> it's like, no. I'm just Dude, that's back when they were still in Oakland too. But yeah. I'm imagining like a family sitting at Golden Corral, just like having a nice Sunday. 
you know, meal or whatever. And then like, it's like the scene from Jurassic Park, like the kid's water glass starts shaking. <laughs> and, like yes. every footsteps of all you guys walking in together, like what's happening? And they, instead of running away, they're all running back to the buffet to get what they can before it's all cleared out. Um, Wait, get the hot rolls. Go, go, go. So, I didn't know you know Golden Corral, man. Oh, yeah, we got them. I mean, Idaho still has some stuff. You know, we're not like this barren wasteland like a lot of people tend to think. Although I'm, I'm saying this on a like there's, you know, not to toot the horn, but this podcast is listened to in many countries, apparently, you know, by two or three guys in each place, you know, so it's huge numbers. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to say this publicly on a show. Idaho is a completely barren wasteland with nothing here at all. Um, yeah, so you don't want people to come. We don't fine. want all that. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> from a from a training perspective, you know, I know so much of the of the sport is the skill of each event, and those you know are similar to some degree, but still different than like what the shot and discus are. You know, in a traditional track and field setting. Did your training from like college college throwing and that kind of stuff? You know, other than just like learning more and, and fine tuning your, your body and your system, like what kind of things were you di- doing differently from a training perspective now that you added in like all these weird things that nobody ever does? You know, what I mean, did that impact how you trained to do those events? Honestly, not not really as much as no. I think. Um, I kind of well kept a lot of my same training from college. I did tweak it a little bit over time. Um, Emphasize a lot more back squat, I guess. Okay. Post, uh, you know, I was doing Highland Games, a lot more hand clean. I would say those are the two things that I focused more on. Yeah. Uh, because I, I found for me, perspective wise, is when I could go and hit a good, good hand clean, when my hand clean was rolling, for some reason, it corresponded really well to knowing, okay, I'm ready to throw. Mm. I'm throwing big numbers. I'm throwing well because my hand clean's on and roll. It's on point, And I'm just able to transfer that transfer that movement and apply it to, I guess, to throwing. So it kind of will stay the same. I guess the big change was like you said, I'm throwing, you're throwing a, instead of a shot, put a 16 pound shot. You're sometimes throwing a 22 to 26 pound stone. You're throwing 28 pound implement, a 56 pound implement, a hundred, you know, cabers, Telephone. At the pro levels, yeah, one fifteen <laughs> to one sixty five, various lengths. You know, what I mean, like yep. the the uh, the objects you're throwing are a lot different. So I would say the big change was just finding time, kind of like a decathlete, probably. That's the only time I can reference yeah. myself to being an athlete like the decathlete. I guess through osmosis, we're blending yeah. ideologies. I'm training training multiple multiple <laughs> events. There you go, but not running. <laughs> All right, yeah. <laughs> After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. 
Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/waypoint. That is mintmobile.com/waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Um, I'm good with not doing that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So when you're actually, I want to know about the, the years that you were on top, those world championship years, how like the buildup to that stuff. I mean, regardless of it, the sport's huge, you know, like if, you know, it's, it's not the Super Bowl in terms of popularity, but you're, you're still at the top of athletic performance in a field which is like there there's always going to be those like one percent or two percent difference maker type things that separate like the the guys that win world championships from the guys that aren't even close ever and so during those years where you were winning was there something that you were doing or or thinking you had dialed in that was allowing you to to succeed at that level (laughs) man ross i think the way I have to look at it, honestly, buddy, is that uh, it was it was a total God thing. Um, totally blessed it because, man, I was not. I, I was not the strongest. I was definitely not the most athletic. Now, best looking, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> but they that goes without saying. That's what my mom always told me. I always hate my mom. You know, I love my mom because she would always be like, especially in high school, you have a bad meet, you don't throw well. And she's like, that's okay, honey. Yeah. You're the best looking one out there. I was like, mom, I don't care. I know that, but I don't care. I that. <laughs> no, uh, but no, I, I think, um, man, God really blessed it, man. Cause there, there was kind of weird time, not weird times, but there was, in any career, right? There's highs and lows and there's things and there's, there's crossroads you come to. It was 2008. I had just earned pro in 07 and I was middling in the like top 15. I hadn't qualified for nationals yet. And I messed up my back again. And I was just like, man, I was really struggling. I got three epidurals in my low back. I did Mm. ART. I did, I don't know how many stretching and rehab and all this stuff. And I was just like, man, I remember calling my buddy who, we talked about, you know, you, you form these friendships, you know, Sean Betts and Sean was uh, 2009, 2008 world champion, six or seven, eight, eight. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, I remember calling him up and like, dude, I, I think I might be done. I, I think I'm going to have to retire. I cannot. My back is killing me. I cannot train. I can't throw. I can't compete. And by that point, like, and that's what's hard too when you turn as a pro in the Highland Games is you 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 scratch and you claw for every invite you can get yeah. because it's so hard to get invites to for people to actually pay you. Sure. You know, they're like because part of the you know the whole thing is like, cool, dude. We got sixty amateurs or eighty amateurs at this comp paying to be here. And you want us to pay you to come like, and you know, so many times people are like, oh, the crowd doesn't even know. And I'm like, baloney, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm throwing it way further than them. You know, like, <laughs> right. I'm throwing way further than I was five years ago. You know, I know what it's like, but no, I, and so, uh, I remember calling him and be like, dude, I think I'm done. I, I'm just, it was a horrible timing, but 
man, God, God healed me. He healed my back and blessed me. It's not to say that I don't occasionally have flare ups. I do. Mm-hmm. I think anybody that does, you train long enough, you're going to have flare ups. But he blessed me and took me there. And it just kind of grew from there. And again, like I said, I was not the strongest. I was not the biggest. I was definitely the, not that athletic. Mm-hmm. But I think he just gave me ability. He gave me the opportunity for some reason. I don't know. Hopefully it was, it's been to impact others and, and to, to shine his light uh, mm-hmm. across an area that uh, definitely needs it. I mean, these are festivals that um, do not always exemplify mm-hmm. the life of Christ. And mm-hmm. when you go to him. So I think that's why he did it. Um, I think he also gave me, God gave me a spirit of just tenacity and um, sometimes obsession, mm-hmm. which an addictive personality to it. And I think as I look back now, I don't want to get all serious. Don't mean to get all serious on you. Do it. I don't like do serious, but I think sometimes, um, I don't know. It, it was hard. It was hard because I was so passionate about it. Like, man, I, I would say like, I don't know how many millions of throws I've done in the field all those years. Mm -hmm. And ultimately that's what led to me retiring. So 2017, I won my last world championship and I retired that same year. And I knew in my mind, I'm like, I still have a couple of years I can still throw, right? I can still do well and I can still make money and I can still do this. But I was like, man, I am done. Like I'm missing out on a lot of my stuff, kids stuff, you know? And that's when it got hard is because my wife and I have five boys and we had started kids young and I'm doing this to where, um, just willing to, willing to sacrifice my own sleep and time, but also time with my kids and family. And, and it was one of those things where, um, I mean, I'm making money for her to stay home. Uh, but the comps kind of got to me. Like I would go, cool, I'm out here competing and doing this. And then my wife and kids are at a, like a balloon festival and I'm seeing pictures. I'm like, doggone. Yeah. Like how I got to find this balance. And so, but I think God gave me, um, I was just willing to work, <laughs> just willing to work. And I always knew that. I was like, man, I'm not mm-hmm. the strongest. I'm not the most athletic. I'm not going to go anywhere unless I'm just willing, willing to work. So, I mean, it was the, Wake up at 4, 15, 4.30, go train for an hour and a half, drive an hour into work, sit at my desk. I was in the cube farm most of the time from 8 to 5, and then drive an hour home, uh, have a quick dinner, go out to the field and practice for two hours and do that. Train five days a week. I was throwing three days during the week and then two days during the weekend and doing that all the time and just putting the time in um, because I think I was just – he gave me that ability to – take workload, I guess. So when I asked earlier, like, what were those things that was like that 2%, it seems like just the, the being able to do that work was probably what it is. Cause I mean that you see that across a lot of disciplines, like the guys that are willing to just basically suffer for it the best or the longest, maybe not the best, yeah. but they're, they can outlast, you know, and they'll put yeah. in the most amount of time for it. Like that's usually what can end up separating uh, a lot of those guys from championship or not. Yeah. And I think that's what's been hard for me too, is people like, Hey man, how do you balance it? How do you do that? And I was like, well, I don't know. And I'll be like, Hey, what time do you, uh, I got a wife, I got kids, I got a job. I was like, cool. What time do you get up in the morning? Ah, man, I don't know, like seven, get it into work. And I was like, cool, get up at four 15 and go train beforehand. I, I always told them, I was like, 
when you want to put time into this and do this, when, when can you do that without sacrificing time with your family? It's when they're asleep. Yeah. So if you're willing to get your butt up and early and to do that, then you don't, they don't miss out on time with you. You don't miss out on time with them. Yeah. They're sleeping anyways, get up and go do the work. Um, and man, there are some tough, we got identical twins and my wife and I always wow. talk about like that. Uh, let's see, they were born in 2011. I remember they were born in August and then three weeks later, one of my first world championship. I remember that year from 11, 12, my wife talking about, we're like, we don't hardly remember that year. It's just a blur. Right. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> we had, uh, I mean, she had the eight o'clock shift till about midnight and I would take from 10 o'clock, but she would go to bed. Sorry. I had eight o'clock to midnight. She would go to bed at eight. The other kids would go to bed at eight. And then I would stay up and kind of feed them around 10 and then get up with them and get at midnight. And then she had that midnight to five or whatever it was. And we talked about how it's just like a blur. But anyways, what I was saying was uh, <laughs> just the ability of like, you know, you hear all these performance specialists, athletes need 10 hours of sleep a night. They want to perform <laughs> right. eight hours at the minimum. And I'm just there going, oh man, <laughs> they clearly don't have any kids because if you want to, be, you, want to you want to train and have kids, like, guess what? Kid, you always choose kids over training. I'll tell you that. Always choose kids. Yeah. But yeah. Guess what? Like that five to six, you can function on that. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can live yeah. and be fine. And even, and you would prove it too, at a still at a, at a pretty high level. Like it's not <laughs> like you're just scratching by on five to six. Like you can actually uh, perform decently well. There's another guy um, that I've followed for, oh man, I probably followed him for 10, 11, 12 years now. Um, Corey Gregory out of he's in Ohio runs old school gym and uh, he was like one of the guys that started muscle farm back in the day and he since oh, moved wow, on. Yeah. he's since moved on has a different supplement company now but um, Brian Peters trains with him a ton mm. and they do powerlifting their big powerlifting gym outside of Columbus but he has been on like his whole thing for years has been like even back in the early snapchat days like he would have a video uh, he would post on his way to the gym in the morning where he would be like, uh, what's up? It's Corey G. It's Tuesday. Uh, this is my remind you, wake your ass up. And he would like do yeah. it and it would like be, be like be my alarm because he would literally go to the gym and he trains at 4 a.m. every day. And uh, <laughs> and he runs like multiple like seven figure businesses and yeah. stuff. And he's like, this is the only time I have to do this. And he's like, and I love it so much. I'm not going to not have it be a part That's of right. my life. And so you have to fit it in when you're going to be able to make it consistent and and not detract from the other things that you want to do. Because like the balance thing, like you mentioned, people always ask you balance like there really isn't. It's right. not balanced at all. Like you just have to decide what you're willing to not do or or give up. Yeah. And that for me was always I'm going to give up sleep because that was again, like I said, is my family's asleep. They're not missing out on me. I can do that. So it was, and on weekends when I would when I was competing too, is that was those nap times, as you know, <laughs> those nap times are critical. Wife goes to sleep, the kids lay down. Yep. Cool. I got about an hour and a half. Let's roll. And I'm going to go to the park yep. or two hours here and I'm going to go throw yeah. I can come back and I can be present and do that. You know? And like I said, a big reason why uh, I retired maybe a year or two uh, sooner than I maybe would have, I guess, was because mm -hmm. of family. Because like you mm -hmm. said, you find that there's not that balance. And so you want to create it more balanced and more weighing towards my kids. And so, uh, and one thing I was thinking about, like, especially with you is like, I love to hunt. I love fishing. I love hunting. And mm -hmm. um, 
but my thing is, is like, man, I have, I have sacrificed a lot to go throw and I don't want to do that right now. So mm-hmm. I, I will <clears throat> sacrifice my hunting and one day I'll get to do more right. hunting than I do. But man, what's cool now is right. I get to hunt with my kids. Right. And so somebody asked me the other day, is like, dude, you're going to get your big buck this year. I was like, I would love to. Don't get me wrong. Would love to smoke a big Boone and Crockett. I'll take a Pope and Young. I mean, I'm not picky. And, uh, but if I could put my my boys on a big deer, man, I'll take it any day of the week because that's my goal this year. Is like like last year, put my boys on some big deer, and we'll go from there. Right? Last year, yeah. two of my boys got some big deer, and Dad didn't get anything, and that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. That's awesome. My oldest is three. And this, uh, just, a, just a handful of weeks ago, maybe just a couple of weeks ago, took him on his first overnight camp trip, just oh, the two of us. Nice. And, uh, you know, he's, he's knows that I go hunt and he knows that I, you know, we like to fish, we fish together, that kind of stuff, but he's so wanting to hunt already. So I have this little like plastic, uh, plastic like bow and arrow that's got like the suction cups on the end of the arrows, right? <laughs> yeah. And so when we were up, when we were up camping, we literally, I'll have to send you one of them because I didn't want to like post a bunch of them and that kind of thing. But yeah. uh, we made like our own home hunting movies. Uh, and he's literally, nice. like bare, he's literally like barefoot in the woods, whispering to the camera, like on a hunting show, <laughs> like running up and just drilling the sides of trees with the arrow. And he's like doing the fist pump. And he's like, yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be a straight killer, man. That's awesome, man. See, that's yeah. the fun stuff, man. That's what's cool is that's what people don't tell you about, about fatherhood, right? Is how awesome yeah. it is. They also don't tell you how exhausting it is at times <laughs> and how tiring it is, but it's the cool memories like that, man. That's super cool. Yeah, it was awesome. And we're right in the throes of the newborn stuff again. My daughter is five weeks old, like a couple days ago. Wow. So we're, we're right back in it uh, again. So, I mean, we're, I, I don't know if five is in the picture, like what you <laughs> had gone, gone through. <laughs> I can't imagine all of that, but it's, yeah, it's just the best, man. I like doing all these other things. Uh, you know, I, with this coming hunting season, usually I'm gone a couple different weekends, like on short trips, maybe a long trip. Like there's usually f- five or six, trips, you know, whether short or long. And with, with her being born last month and then with just, you know, all these other things going on, I basically am like, look, I'm going to make one trip in September and for elk and and I'm leaving next week. And then one trip in October for deer. And like, I'm going to, that's going to be my only chance this year. And I'm, and I'm fine with it because like, that was the choice that you made. It's like, what am I going to, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to just peace out and leave two, two babies at home, yeah. you know, every weekend, you know, but that's part of it. You have to make those decisions Absolutely. and then like not hold it against them too. be good with those choices. Yeah. And it's the same, you know, in business, in athletics, when you're competing, like people tend to think it's like our choices aren't our own, it seems. Mm. And everything is like you, you control pretty much all the decisions yeah. that you make. You know, like, and, and the outcome of those decisions is it's the Jocko thing, like the the extreme ownership, like own up to your decisions, whether yeah. it's leaving or, you know, your, your, the time that you're not spending with family because of whatever commitments, like that's nobody else's fault you chose. Yep. You know, you can do that kind of stuff. And, and owning those, I think, is a big, big step for a lot of, a lot of guys that don't necessarily want to admit that to themselves. Absolutely. You know what I mean? The one of the things I wanted to ask you about is that transition period 
in retirement, like realizing that you're done with something like that, that you were so, you know, you even use the word obsessive, right? But with such a big part of your life for so long, yeah. you know, I'm always curious how, um, you know, I've talked to, you know, a couple like NFL guys, like what that process was like, you know, coming back into, and even military guys, like you come back in and you're now a, a civilian, right? Like you got to find a way to have life that doesn't include this thing that kind of defined you for so long. Like yeah. what was that transition period like for you? Was it difficult for you to kind of bring it back in or was it because like family, like, all right, Hey, I'm just here now. That's, that's what's up. It's good. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, I think God afforded me some grace in that time period for, for a couple of reasons. For one, over the last few years, I really ratcheted down. So at my peak, you know, I was competing 17, 18 weekends a year and, and that was not counting the, you know, seven, eight, nine months of training, you know, that I would throwing, I would do, and the, you know, and during the season. But then towards the end, I was like, man, I am, family is so important to me. I want to be around family more. So I competed at Worlds. I competed at USA's and then USA, uh, then our like USA Invitational. And then honestly, I kind of pick and ch- choose, choose, chose, choose. <laughs> I, I, I had a I had pick and choice. Uh, you know the word I'm looking for, Ross. Whatever. I'm not a, not a wordsmith. I know what you mean. <clears throat> yeah, I had to choose which ones I wanted, and so there I kind of, kind of, you know, pared it down a little bit, and so that helped. But honestly, man, you make an awesome point. Okay, so in my realm, in the strength industry, with with whether that's <clears throat> Highland Games strongman, powerlifters. Uh, even you can see it today with some of the bodybuilders and some of the like pro wrestlers. Yeah. One day, one day you're going to not be the big, strong, good guy you were. That's and that's just part of it. And if your identity is so wrapped up into being the big, strong guy that walks in a room or they can move this weight or can carry the stone or can throw this, that bar, or whatever is jacked. Guess what? You're all that's not always gonna, who you're going to be. And so for me, my identity has been, my identity is in Christ. So my identity is in Christ where I'm a Christ follower. I am a husband. I am a father who also throws stuff. And so for me, it's always been hugely important. Where's my identity? My identity is found in Christ. I am not, some, throwing is something I do. It's not who I am. And so it's been a, I would say it's been an easier transition for me. I'm going to go ahead and say it. There are still times because God gave me that passion. He gave me that gift. He gave me whatever you call it, the, the ability to do it. I loved it. I got to do things. I ne- Dude, I never, ever thought. When I started throwing Highland Games, I was like, man, this is pretty fun. I remember going to my first couple comps before we had kids. My wife uh, was going with me, and she'd be driving home and because I'm just exhausted and I'm a mess. I got tacky all over me, and I just won third place. And the amateurs in Southern Missouri, and I am holding this Peter Pan. It wasn't, I didn't even win like a full Braveheart because it was third. It was like a dagger or a Peter Pan sword. It was like super small. But I am, we're rolling 65 miles down the highway, and I'm hanging out the window yelling, yeah, freedom, yeah, I got a sword. I am the man. I like, this was the most awesome thing. I was like, man, I could spend the day with my wife. Although she slept most of the day, she would always bring a book and just read and fall asleep in her lawn chair, you know? <laughs> so, uh, she's like, Oh, how'd you do it? It's like, well, I got, I got a sword. So what's that tell you? She's like, I have no idea. I was like, that means I made the podium. <laughs> I deal with that means. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I always thought this would just be a fun thing I would do. And when I told my wife, I was like, look, when I finally, I, I 
I got invited to uh, to my first pro comp. I was like, babe, you won't believe this. They invited me to throw and they're going to pay me. She's like, really? I was like, yeah, they want to pay me money to throw. Don't tell them, but I'd do it for free. <laughs> <You know>? so, <laughs> and uh, she goes, okay, well, how long you want to do this? You know, because that time we'd had our first son and I said, well, give me five years. I just want to do be a pro for five years. Let me try this out. You know, well, 10 years later, uh, I, finally, <laughs> I finally retired. <laughs> so we see who won that one, you know. Um, but, uh, but no, I think the transition was easy because family uh, was mm-hmm. easy in that. Uh, I had accomplished, I shouldn't say, that sounds really weird. I'd, I'd experienced everything beyond anything I'd ever dreamed I would experience. And so that, but I mean, the big part was my identity is found in Christ. And so I know Mm -hmm. that. I think what's harder now at times is I'm just turned 40 this last year uh, and realizing I don't need to be. So I was 255 when I graduated high school or college and high school and college. But, and I thought I was, I'm pretty big. I'm pretty big. You know, I'm the average American. You know, that's, that's all right. And Mm -hmm. just competing. I was like, dude, I got to get up there. So I had to gain the weight to 285. And then I was like, man, if I really want to take another step, I need to get over 300, you know? So I was, Hey, I don't need your fat shaming on this. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Uh just thinking of all the work that it takes to gain that much weight. Sure. That just, Sure, Ross. The eating is a full-time job in itself. Yeah, Yeah. good recovery, Ross. Good recovery. (laughs) A little fast shaming here and there. Great to be on your podcast, man. (laughs) Jeez. Uh, Uh, So, yeah, I got up to a new PR. 311 uh, was my heaviest, you know. uh, And I think what's been harder now is I retired, and then I was like, "Ah, I still love to lift. I'm a trainer. I'm going to lose some weight. So I lose a little bit of weight, and I'm like – Man, my numbers are going down. I gotta get that body weight. So phew, put the body weight back up, and I'm bench pressing yeah. heavy again. I'm like, yeah, this is great. So I think the transition uh, of of guys in the strength industry. Number one, my big things I always tell guys: number one, your identity is not this event that you do, whether it's strongman, powerlifting, whatever, it's thrower, whatever it is. It's just right. something you do. My identity is found in Christ that does this. I do this. I've had this uh, this gift, the opportunity to do it. It's not who I am. It does not define me. And so I think the other thing too, man, is just to realize like, hey, I'm not going to be the biggest, strongest ever. Mm -hmm. That's okay. And it's time for me to move on. It's time for me to do other things. Right now in my training, yeah, I've gained, I've lost weight and I'm slowly bringing it down, you know, uh, I got mm-hmm. down 270, so I'm feeling better by myself. I know, according to you, Ross, that's still fat guy. So whatever. <laughs> Putting words in my mouth, Dan. <laughs> but uh, it's coming down and finding new goals mm-hmm. and new things to challenge myself yeah. with, right? And to realize mm-hmm. benching, head, benching a big PR is not going to be in my future, and that's okay. Uh, but that's not mm-hmm. that's no longer who I am, and that's okay. Yeah. That, uh, that realization, even if it's not like a, you're not competing in a sport and I'm trying to remember who I heard say, and you might know when I say the quote, but, um, I remember, I remember somebody saying like one day soon, you know, soon is in quotes cause it could be one year, it could be five. Right. But one day soon you're going to lift the heaviest mm. on this lift that you're ever going to in your life. And that's going to be it. You're never going to lift that heavy again for as long as you yeah. live. And like that, that yearning to sort of hold on to that or to try and like extend that farther than 
maybe what's necessary mm-hmm. is was messes a lot of guys up and that then that is what translates into things like in their lives kind of getting messed up too, like holding on to those things yeah. that like like that you said or you know or not you said but that we know are superficial things yep. to a degree right oh, they're not they're not eternal things yep. you know and so letting go of those is is more so the challenge i think uh, that you're not going to, because like, even with the, even with the weight thing, right? Like how, I mean, I'm sure, you know, a lot of dudes that just love being the big guys, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, like, like you, but it's, but it's just a thing. Like you like, like walking in and knowing that like, Hey, I'm the big dude here. And like, that's, that's part, that's like the same type of thing. Like walking up to a bar, like knowing I can outlift anybody here. Yeah. Like there's that, it's that same kind of thing. So making those, it's all just different phases, but those yeah. mental, those mental adjustments over time, I think, is is like really where a lot of the growth more more so happens yeah. in those instances. It's what was so great is like in the off season and when I was comp- competing, uh, I was usually two ninety five to three hundred five. Then the off season, I was usually mm-hmm. like three hundred five to three ten. You know, sort of had, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and this is a lot of fun. Like I remember those mm-hmm. days. I'm like, dude, like. <laughs> This weight didn't mean anything to me. I could move this. Like I ate whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, I did whatever. And now it's, uh, but it's just, well, so I was at a, I was a competition, like maybe my second last year and a guy I competed with, or he was a few years older than me. So we didn't, anyways, we always try to cross paths, but he was like over 300 and he came back and mm-hmm. he retired and he came back and he was, and he was like, Hey guys. And I was like, what? what in the world what happened to you and i thought in my mind like are you okay like are you sick what is wrong because he got down to like 225 230 and so wow. i was like dude what's what's Drastic. going on yeah what's it? he's like man he says dan and they stuck with me he goes how many 300 pound 80 year old men do you see and i was mm-hmm. like None. He's like, yeah, because I just had to realize as I get older that this isn't helping. Yeah. That was fun. That was my, that was a stage in life, but I need to move sure. on. I'm like, doggone, that's true. And so that stuck with me yeah. is, is I've kind of like, man, I would say over this last winter strong was a big part of it, like leading up to winter strong and after mm-hmm. winter strong. Cause I did, I did the comp there, uh, the running and yeah. stuff and it, and it just gassed me, you know, and, uh, yeah. to realize and to kind of come with it of like, Hey man, 270 is still big dude. <laughs> 250 is a big dude. Like sure. it's okay. So slowly taking that weight, continue to take it down. I was kind of yeah. stuck at a point. I was like two, I'd say winter strong. I was probably like 285 still, uh, you know, okay. and just kind of continue to bring it down. And so I've got goals in my mind for the end of this year and for next year to continue to bring that weight down. I love to train. I'm still going to train. I'm still going to lift, but realizing exactly yeah. like you said, those PRs are in the past. And that's okay. There's new goals. There's new adventures to be made. And that's okay. It's You have mm-hmm. to move on. And where we get in trouble is when we don't move on and we don't transition. Couldn't have said that any better. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, uh, I really appreciate your time. Uh, we're going to wrap this one up. If you guys are listening to this podcast, I'm actually going to keep Dan on here for a few extra minutes. And this is going to be in the patron only 
episode. We're going to get into some stuff uh, for a few minutes here, just some extra stuff that we didn't have time for right now. So if you want to check that out, go sign up for the patron. And uh, the link is in the caption for that. But Dan, thank you for making the time, man. I really My pleasure, appreciate man. It. It's been fun. Mm-hmm.